You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling in the spirits. So I'm going to begin here by calling out to your ancestors and to mine, calling out to all of those ancestors who bring that which is good and true and beautiful um, in our lineage to the living. These are the people who lived well and died well, who met the challenges of their time, who met the challenges of their day, who met the challenges of their own soul's purpose and did so in a way that they have the richness of life experiences to share with us. So I call out to those ancestors who lived a life of legend, those who challenged the obvious and looked for that which was not apparent. And I call out to those ancestors who came to understand through living their lives fully that which abides who came to understand that which we do take with us when we die. And in understanding that and living in a way that cultivated those things, these ancestors died in a good way and were able to cross over to the land of the dead and come to us here today as ancestral helping spirits. These are the ancestors that I call out to. And I ask you all to gather around for every single one of us who is listening or will listen to this show at any time. I ask all of those ancestors to be with us, for we are all one family. So with these ancestors gathered round, I ask each of us, the living, to focus in, find our awareness and draw it down, draw it from our mind to our heart and our heart from our belly, and from our belly to extend our energy down into the earth and to take a humble moment with our real or imagined hands on the earth, our feet on the earth, perhaps even our belly or our cheek to the earth, and just simply take a moment to give thanks. Thanks for your life. Thanks for this day. Thanks for the wonder and the beauty in all things. So we call out to the earth to hear our gratitude. And then we move with gratitude down through all the layers of the earth, through the crust of the earth, through the molten layers of the earth, all the way to the very center of the earth. And as we anchor our energy firmly there in the center of the earth, we ask the energy of the earth to share with us her wisdom of manifestation, that we might all understand not only how to manifest, but how to manifest here in form in a good way for all living things. So we draw the energy of the earth up, up from the very center of the earth, and we call into ourselves, we call into our life, we call into our day, we call into these proceedings, the energy of groundedness, of connection to place, to home, to hearth, to have a sense of right place and right time, and a sense of belonging. We call out to the energy of earth to support us in our Um, asking in our lives for abundance and a resource-rich environment. And we call out to the energy of the earth to help us to understand that if we want those things, 
we must open to the connection and the interconnection of all things. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us to follow that path wisely so that we can open to the oneness of all things. And from that place of oneness, may we come into right relationship with ourselves, right relationship with others, right relationship with the environment, and right relationship with the invisible world. And so we ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand what it truly means to be here relating to all the energies that impact us in our life in a good way from the heart. So with the energy of the earth infusing us, let us draw our energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind. And from our mind, we extend out, out through the sky above and whatever weather it holds for you on this day, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos and all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call this power, it truly doesn't matter. All that matters is that we reach out to it and we see the divine in it and we see it in ourselves, the divine in ourselves. And we know ourselves to be one with this energy as well. And in that we open our hearts to it and draw it down, down through all the layers of the sky into ourselves, into this day, into our life and into these proceedings. We call in the energy of protection. We call in the energy of blessing, the energy of generosity, the energy of devotion. We call in the benevolence of the universe and draw the sky energies down to help us to illuminate the way, even as the energy of the earth helps to energize the way. And so we call the sky energy into our head and our heart and our bellies and enjoy that moment where we can focus and be aware to the energy of earth and sky coming together within us, the two great lovers of great legend of which all life as we experience it is born. And let us feel the great relief and ecstatic joy in ourselves as the energy of the earth and sky become one within us. And from that ecstatic place of this great love, let us ask our own heart to open, open in the crucible of change that it is designed to be. And let us use our heart as it is designed, not for protection, but to be this place that holds the fire of our transformation our transformation from who we are to who we could be. Who is that person who can bring the gifts you are destined to bring? Who is that person who can bring those gifts to the world? This is the question we ask the heart because it is the heart that holds the memory. And so we ask the heart to open as we draw up the energies from below that carry our fiery passions and the things that truly move us. We draw those energies up into our heart and we draw down the clarity and the precision and the awareness of a larger picture from our mind. We draw that down into the heart and we let this fire and ice dance in our heart in such a way that it gives birth to that third and most essential thing, a sense of why you are here. And may you find in that exact same heart the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring your gifts to the world. And I give great thanks that I can be here, that you can be here, that we can all be here with the ancestors gathered round, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart here connecting it all. I give great gratitude to those of you who have donated to the show since we last gathered. And I give thanks to all of you who are being creative, who don't feel that you have the funds to offer, who are being creative and 
offering ways to help the show to grow and to be relevant with great new show ideas, with questions about shows we've already had that we can deepen those conversations. I give thanks to those of you in particular who are using what you are learning in your life because this is what shamanic practice is. That That's who shamanic practitioners are, is people who are willing to, to meet the challenge of living shamanically in our contemporary lives, not living as contemporary people and playing at shamanism, but to truly bring these teachings into our life and see what it looks like today. So I give thanks to all of you, those of you who have donated, those of you who are working with the teachings, those of you who are sending me questions. Thank you all. Thank you for helping me to keep the show alive and well. Um, I am in the process of um, reworking the show website, but for those of you who haven't found it yet, um, it's at whyshamanismnow.com. All of the archives of the shows are there. They are also at the co-creatornetwork.com site. Um, the guest interviews, uh, most of them are on the um, Society of Shamanic Practitioners site, and all of the shows are also archived on iTunes, if that makes it easier for you to subscribe. So please feel free to gather the shows from wherever it's easiest for you to find them. And for those of you who would like to donate any amount, large or small, on our website, whyshamanismnow.com, you can click the support button and just donate any amount. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air, to keeping the website available, to paying cocreatornetwork.com for whom we are so grateful, and all of the things that um, pay for the technology that keeps this show free to anyone who is able to get online. So thank you, everyone. So today I'm continuing on the journey. Um, that I started here at the beginning of the year to rise to the challenge of how do we, the people, who are actually the creators of the story of the people, no matter how passive we may feel in that, we actually are the creators of the story. And how are we, the people, then, going to take responsibility for changing the story of the people? from what it has been for over 5,000 years to what it's asking to be now in this new world, in this new uh, cycle of life here on earth that begun in December of last year. And my challenge to all of us, myself included, is to understand that if we want to have a qualitatively different journey we will need to find some new traveling companions. Now, at the same time, each one of us is going to have to decide who's been traveling with us. We may need to, you know, kick out of the caravan because these are old ideas whose time is done. Old ways of living that we have outgrown. Old ways of being that no longer support us. For example, my favorite that I wish everyone would kick out of their caravan of life would be the lie of separation. That this is a profoundly formative idea in the Western world and it is being spread around the globe to those who did not know the lie. It's been being spread for hundreds of years and that is the lie that we are separate from God. 
and that we we need we are somehow spiritually separate from our physical body that somehow the realm of spirit and all things sacred is separate from the physical world that is muddy and dirty and has poop in it you know these ideas that everything is separate because the truth is from a shamanic perspective the truth is that all things are one everything is energy which is also a scientific perspective and that everything is connected which is a shamanic and a scientific perspective and these these ideas are in many religious teachings as well but they get um subverted or undermined by this this deep idea that we are somehow separate from god and that somehow our suffering in life proves that all right so that would be that is the kind of thing that i'm talking about a big formative idea that has led humanity off the wrong in the wrong way Wrong meaning it's not sustainable. Wrong meaning it's leading us to extinction. Wrong meaning uh, it allows for the the rich and um, abundant and excessive life of a few and a very scarce and challenging life of the many. So we, the people, are going to have to do this differently if we want anything to change. And as you know, um, assuming you've listened to the show before, I don't actually think any of us should be waiting for other people to change it for us. We are the people. And so I posed this question then on January 1st. How will we, the people, write a truly new story for the new world? And I strongly suggest this um, change in our allies, this bringing on board some allies we have been taught intentionally to be afraid of, but to, to create ally relationships with the unknown, with the wild heart, and with the Tao, or this awareness of complementary dualism, not antagonistic dualism or polarity or dualism as a bad word, as an idea that we, some, some great chasm we can't cross, but complementary dualism, which is found again and again and again and again in shamanic teachings around the world and is certainly um, moved into... Um, a philosophical realm in Taoism to the best of our understanding of, frankly, other people's ways of thinking about things. So the fourth ally that I suggest on this journey is darkness. And this is the topic of our conversation here today. And so keep in mind that I'm suggesting the allies I think that we need to have and this also means I'm hoping what you are finding, if any of you are stepping up to these challenges to bring these allies into your life, that you're going to have to kick some other allies out, some old, well-worn, tried-and-true allies out. And that may a little be, be a little bit scary, but you chose to be here now. You chose to be incarnate at this time, this time of the great turning of the worlds, the end of an old world. And the beginning of a new world. And that means you chose to write the story. So let's get on with it. Okay, so this time of transition that we're in, because it's not like the United States government where, you know, one party is in power, they lose the election, they vacate the White House, and the new party, next, the other party moves in. Doesn't work that way in real life. In the real life of transformation, there is always a transition between one thing and another. And transitions are tricky, tricky times. 
in uh, Taoistic practice, the understanding of transition is we either gain or lose energy in transition. So, for example, for those of you that Sundance and, or do some sort of um, traditional North American, Native American uh, ritual or ceremony like Sundance or a true sweat or something like that, there's lots of protocol around people's behavior and how things are done. And much of that people get annoyed with if they don't understand that this protocol, these ways of doing the simplest things are there to help us not only not lose energy in the transitions from day to night, from dancing to not dancing. They're there so that we can not only not lose energy, but we can gain energy. So here we are in this huge transition from an old story to a new story with no one around who remembers how they did this last time. So we need to use what we have learned and pay attention to the fact that we are in transition and to understand this as a potent and special time. So, The theme, then, that we see repeated infinite ways in the creation stories of shamanic people, because remember, you know, no one who was around, no one who knows how to do this transition is around anymore. So we need to draw on the wisdom of people that actually created stories for the people that were sustainable, stories for the people that connected uh, spiritually to all living things and understood the interconnectedness of things and stopped acting like um, fracking isn't going to matter. Um, right? Uh, so thus we reach back to the shamanic people and we look at how with the shamanic people, men and women for a large part emerged together. Fire and ice emerged together. Yin and yang emerged together. There was no Adam before Eve or Lilith before Adam, however you want to tell the story, that the essence energies of our experience of life emerged together as two aspects of one energy. And they emerged together because they have to. It is their nature. They, they cannot exist without each other. Alone, each is a path to death. And life comes from their wholeness, their dynamic dance together. And I use dance because I like dance because it makes me uh, feel that I as a human being can do it. When I say something like dynamic tension, I'm already rising up into my head a little bit. And when I get into too many big words, I'm not doing it anymore. And so I use dance because to me, all life is a dance. It's changing in rhythm. It's changing in pace. It's up. It's down. It speeds. It slows. There's jumps. There's falling. There's spinning. There's crashing. There's rising again. There's great beauty and there's mistakes. So that's dance to me. So here we are in this great dance and we need to understand that those yin-yang energies, the true energies of life are always in a dance. They're always in a dynamic um, complementary dualism with their complementary energy, that which makes them whole. So the path of true yang, left utterly to its own nature, completely undisturbed by other energies, is extinction. It is death. And this is largely the 
challenge in the old story. The reason the old story didn't lead to ecstatic and sublime life eternal is because it was imbalanced. It was all about the cranky old man. It was all about the yang. And the yang energy moved from true expressions of yang ultimately into false expressions because it couldn't help but do that because there was no value for yin energies. And so, but understand that the true path of the yin left utterly to its own nature, completely undisturbed by other energies, is stagnation or suffocation, which is another kind of death. So these are qualitatively different deaths, but for humans and life on earth, dead is dead. It doesn't really matter how we got there because once we're there, we're dead. So life as we experience it, experience it in this ever so convincing illusion of form, ever so essential for us illusion of form, life comes from the wholeness, not from yin or yang, not from patriarchies or matriarchies, but from these two energies together in their dance of dynamic tension. This is critical energy for us to ally ourselves with so that we can live differently, think differently, speak differently, and write a different story for the people, which means we leave a different world to our children and our children's children. So last week I talked about this a lot, and I explored um, how do we work with our new allies to make the medicine for this bitter, lonely old man of an old world story. And um, so we have been guided uh, nearly to our extinction because this living fire energy in our awareness and our philosophies and our beliefs, this living fire energy was elevated above all others and held separate from the love of his life. So it became a bitter, lonely old man. And why was he separated from the love of his life? They were separated by the lie that we are separate from God. And by our belief in that lie, it's not so much that people are telling us the lie, it's that we believed it. And what we believe gains power. What we don't believe loses power. So last week we talked about the remedies for ourselves and for our old man story. We talked about what is necessary to transform in the old story and then to do that, what will first be necessary to transform in ourselves? The short version. I mean, if you want the long version, just go listen to the download of last week's show. But the short version of this is that we, the people, need to see in the old story a huge resource of yang energy. Okay, so it's just a huge resource. It's in problematic forms. It's stagnant, it's false, it's excessive, but it's still a huge resource of yang energy. And yang energy, um, well, a resource of energy is a resource of energy. Okay, so that energy itself may be lost, having forgotten its true nature long ago, given the thousands of years that it has spent stuck in excessive um, stuck stagnation and false expressions by our beliefs but it is a huge resource nonetheless so what we need to do is to stir it and in that to remind it who it is 
We need to sink this energy of ambition, aggression, and arrogance deeply into the yin of compassion. And yes, that means have compassion for those energies that you perceive of as ambitious, as aggression, as arrogance. We need to bring seek things that sink these energies deeply into integrity. We must call our systems of power into integrity and we begin by bringing our own lives into integrity. And we must sink these energies into accountability for this yang energy to be restored, to remember who it is. And for us to actually do any of this, and I believe we can do this, we can write this story with our lives. But what else are we here to do? right? So we can write this new story with our lives. We can write a truly new story for the people. I do believe that we can if we choose to. So for for us to actually do all of this, we need to cultivate one more ally. So we talked about cultivating the unknown. We talked about cultivating the wild heart. We talked about cultivating this understanding of yin-yang complementary dualism. So my suggestion here is that we must cultivate one more ally, and that ally is darkness. We must cultivate right relationship with darkness. So we, the people, then, need to stop being afraid of the dark. And in particular, we need to stop being afraid of our own darkness. So the old story was an old story that said, reach for the light and only for the light, right? Yet it is in our darkness that we find rest and replenishment each night. The sun sets, darkness falls, we sleep, we rest, we restore. Those who don't sleep very quickly begin to develop problems mentally, physically, emotionally. Darkness brings us this gift of rest and restoration every night, no matter where you are on the planet. And yet we fear that darkness that comes every night so sweetly, so simply, to give us that gift. So it is in our darkness that we dream and remember our heart path and remember the reason that we are here. It is in the darkness that we meditate for most of us, that we look within. When someone, I'm in a class or something and someone says, look within, what do I do first? I close my eyes. I choose darkness. We choose darkness. And yet in our mind, we carry this story that we need to be afraid of the dark. So in darkness, we travel in our journeys so that our soul and our connection to all things can guide us in our life. So it is in the darkness that we find our heart and our courage to love, especially the courage to love again. So the old story, in spite of all of these things, tried to convince us again and again and again to stay afraid of the dark. And I believe that that was not unintentional. I don't believe it was necessarily a grand conspiracy, but I believe that it was intentional because people who are not afraid of their own darkness 
find an ever-restoring source of wisdom from the spirit realm, from their own higher power, from their own dreams at night, from whatever you want to call that. And people that are constantly renewing their own connection with the divine, their own connection with the source, and their own connection with wisdom, wisdom that works in the world, but wisdom. These people are harder to manipulate. And that's why I believe it was intentional because humanity has understood that concept for a very, very long time. That concept is painted on cave walls. I actually saw one in South Africa, Asan cave painting. And the docet or whatever we would call the person who was explaining the paintings. This was, by the way, for me, the coolest part of this entire trip in South Africa was these ancient cave paintings. Um, anyway, my point, uh, the docent, was explaining the different stories and showing us the imagery, the symbolic imagery for this. This is a shaman. This is a hunter. This is a mother. This is a child. This is an elder. You know, how they were all represented in the drawings, the cave drawings of these people. And then you started seeing these shamans who were carrying what looked like these big sticks. And someone asked, what are, what are these guys doing? These, these look like shamans, but why are they carrying these big sticks? And they're not doing any of the things the other shamans are doing. Because the other shamans were engaged in things that were part of a shamanic practice, like altered states. They were engaged with helping spirits. They were transforming into helping spirits. You know, they were doing... They, they, had, they were drawn with energies around them that speak to ritual, ceremony, ecstasy, and spirit help. And so then there were these other shamans over here with none of that around them carrying big sticks. And what the docent explained is that these shamans were fake shamans. They were part of the, the process of colonization of these people by outsiders, by either the Dutch or the British or the whoever, whomever. Um, and that what the colonizers figured out very early is that you either wanted to assume the role of the shaman or to dress like a shaman and, 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 and the outward actions of the people shaman so they would listen to you or you would kill the shamans. And so these shamans with guns represented the colonizing forces who were masquerading as shamans to um, move the people in a particular direction. And so um, any shaman with a gun was a fake shaman. So my point is humanity has understood for a very, very long time. Actually understood more astutely than a whole lot of Americans do now. How easy it is to manipulate people who have no authentic connection to the divine, who are not in and of themselves practiced in connecting to the source and renewing their constant connection with wisdom. So if you make people afraid of the dark, they will be afraid of their own truth. They will be afraid of their own renewal, their own connection to source. And ultimately, they are just sheep. And they are really easy to manipulate. And so this is why we must reclaim our relationship with darkness. In the new story for the new people, we must transform the great lie 
of separation into the truth of the great dream and the origin of all things that our light illuminates our dark and our dark gives meaning and purpose to the light. So darkness in its most sacred form. And now I realize if you Google sacred darkness, a lot of interesting things arise. I don't really mean that. I'm talking about darkness in its most sacred form is the remedy for addiction to the light. And Western culture is light addicted. We manifest that in many ways. But we are relentlessly driven to reach for things in the light that we will never find there. And so how is our addiction to light-focused spiritual practices, for example, any different than reaching through heroin for something heroin can never give us? Addiction is the very act of doing the same thing over and over again to reach for something that we want that that act can never deliver for us. Because the problem with light addiction is it's a very, it's based on a very controlling belief in this singular goodness, meaning some things are good and some things are not. And that is an expression of the lie of separation. So we must come to terms. Either everything is connected and it's all one and therefore all part of this goodness or neutralness, or it's not, or it's not all one and it's not all connected. Now, I've seen where not all one, not all connected took us. And here in the United States, it's really, you know, teetering on extinction and dragging everybody else in the world down with us. So personally, I'm, I'm thinking that that test that we ran for 5,000 and some odd years, right, it didn't work. And so we must understand that this addiction to light and this really controlling belief in a singular goodness has got to go. We must recover from this addiction. So our cultural addiction to the monotheistic light as the only path is also an addiction to straight lines. It is this idea Well, it's actually an addiction, a mental addiction to straight lines versus understanding that anything that is sustainable must circle. It's circular. And this monotheistic, this addiction to monotheistic light is really a manifestation not of some divine revelation of truth, but of our shadow distorting our interpretation of our spiritual and physical existence. In other words... If the revealed information says, look only to the light, then the message that came through was distorted by the unresolved shadow energies of the human receiver. That is what I'm saying. And yep, I'm saying it across the board. Any purely light-focused spiritual practice or religion may well have been true divine revelation, but it got filtered through a human who was not in good relationship with their shadow. And thus the message itself is distorted and is half a message. That is my claim. So there. So what is the shadow? So we're going to talk a little bit here about the shadow. So which I have talked about on other shows. So go ahead and go look for them. I can't remember the names off the top of my head at the moment. So what is the shadow? 
the shadow is an archetypal energy that has been discussed at great length by Carl Jung and those who have continued on that path. In Jungian psychology, the shadow or shadow aspect is a part of the unconscious mind consisting of repressed weaknesses, shortcomings, and instincts. Jung wrote, everyone carries a shadow and the less it is embodied in the individual's conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. At all counts, it forms an unconscious snag, thwarting our most well-meant intentions. So um, John Elder continued this way. The shadow describes a part of the psyche that an individual would rather not acknowledge. It contains the denied parts of the self. This is more closer to my definition uh, from a shamanic perspective. It contains the denied parts of the self. Since the self contains these aspects, they surface in one way or another. Bringing shadow material into consciousness drains its dark power and can even recover valuable resources from it. The greatest power, however, comes from having accepted your shadow parts and integrated them as components of yourself. Uh, yes, but how? That is the question. So how, so to understand how to recover our energy from the shadow, we need to actually understand how aspects of ourself get into the shadow in the first place. So as an archetypal energy, the shadow exists in the universe. Things in the light cast a shadow in our world. The shadow itself is not good or bad. It simply is. Light is not good or bad. It simply is. Darkness is not good or bad. It simply is. What it is, the shadow, what it is, is a place where things are protected from the light. Think of the respite a shadow offers on a wretched, hot summer day. Feel that. Feel hot, cracked skin, dying for a drink, and you find the refreshing moment of a shadow and step into it. Ah, oh, what a gift. No? Think of the protection a shadow offers when you feel someone following you at night and you just step inside, suddenly disappearing for a moment into a shadow and allow that person to pass. The relief that comes from that protection that shadow offered you. The parts of ourself we send into the shadow and we send them there. Nobody else does. We send our own selves into the shadow. So the parts of ourself we send into the shadow are the parts we want to protect. From what? From the light. We want to protect these parts of ourself from being seen. These are the parts of ourself that have been judged harshly and usually incorrectly. We have learned to fear these parts of ourself or these parts have been judged as bad. And so we hide them from the light. It's an act of survival. It's a it's a an act of perception for the purpose of survival. And the tricky bit is that though these parts of yourself are not good or bad, once they are shoved into our shadow, they begin to ferment. They brood, 
they suffer from neglect, and they twist in on themselves over time. What would you do if you were unfairly judged, if you were then forced to live in darkness all the time without love and smashed together with other selves equally banished from life? What would you do? Who would you become? This is what happens to ourselves that we shove into the shadow. They, before they get shoved in the shadow, are not good or bad. They just are who they are. But we're taught by the responses they receive in life to fear them or to judge them as bad or maybe even be afraid that they're actually evil. And so we shove them off into the shadow and leave them there where they actually do begin to distort They actually do begin to change and they surface in our lives nonetheless in ways that are really confusing. They come out of the unconscious. They're usually contrary to what we're trying to do consciously and they cause problems again and again and again. And so while we understand that drawing our energy out of the shadow back into our consciousness is what we need to do, Most people really have no idea how to do that effectively. So the transition and the transformation of the old story requires that we learn how. We must ally with the darkness and our personal manifestation of that in the shadow. And so this will require that we quell our addiction to things sparkly and light-focused, that we must quell our addiction of a incessantly going to workshop after workshop to find the path instead of learning to just get out of the way of the path within you that wants to unfold. So to to participate as the people in the creation of this new story and, and our creating an ally out of darkness, this requires that we surrender the control that is inherent in willing all energies into love and light instead of transforming energies to neutral and allowing the wisdom and the oneness of all things to recycle these energies into their new form, trusting the essential balance of the universe being somewhat wiser than you are, that we bind energies in form. And we do not know when we are transforming an energy and releasing it, what its next form will be. And even binding it into love and light is a controlling, willful, spiritually ambitious process. For me, the elemental aspect of my shamanic practice, the humble nature of the elements, the, the, the physical nature of the elements has taught me that I am not as smart as I think I am and that I am special in ways I do not understand and that if I were to align myself and my specialness with greater wisdoms then I would understand that it is my task to undo what humans have done wrongly to transform that energy back to a neutral energy and to give it up, to let go. 
and to let the greater wisdom draw those energies in to begin to nourish and replenish the great systems that sustain us not only physically but emotionally and mentally and spiritually. Remember back, I don't know when, we were doing a show about uh, working with the spirits of the land, I think. And one of the things that I was talking about is how people really don't understand well, unless they've studied this, that there are very dark places on the earth that are unhealthy for mammals, not just humans, but mammals. Animals have enough sense to just cross through them and to not hang out there. And even though these energies are really unhealthy for us, I mean, like could eventually cause cancer if we built a house on it and stuck our bed there, that these energies are absolutely essential for the right functioning of the earth, which is absolutely essential for abundance, which is absolutely essential for our survival. And so our willful, spiritually ambitious presumption of shaping every energy into love and light does not allow the wisdom of the earth to find balance, the wisdom of the sky and the sun energies and the divine to find balance. We continue to hold the pendulum out of, away from the center. We just hold it on the other side of the swing. So it's important that we understand that, that culturally, from the old story, we are light addicts. And that our restoration of sanity, our restoration of goodness, our restoration of communion, our restoration of health and well-being is absolutely dependent and our ability to fall in love again with the darkness and all that it entails. And to open our hearts to the transformations necessary to make the darkness and our shadow in particular an ally. So why do we find this so hard? Why do we turn again and again and again to light-focused paths? We turn, if we turned from organized religion... And then from New Age hodgepodge spirituality, um, we're still dragging Jesus into our ayahuasca ceremonies. So why do we find it so hard? We turn again and again to these light-focused paths when each one fails to bring us to our health and our unique truth. Why are we so afraid of the dark, of the stranger, of the other? Because we bought the storyline of the big lie. We bought the storyline that we are separate from God. This then becomes the basis for the battle between dark and light. However, the shamanic truth is we cannot be separate from God and that the dark cannot be separate from the light. And that furthermore, since we're all one, we are all aspects or expressions of the divine, both dark and light. And is that not the essence of the hero's journey? Before I get a thousand emails, you know, citing Star Wars and Joseph Campbell, right? The truly good versions of the hero's journey, the good ones, the hero comes to understand 
that it is in the transformation, the coming into consciousness with their own darkness, that they gain the resources to prevail, to save the people, to rewrite the story, whatever it is. That the stories that end up being kind of lame, and we all were so excited to go see that movie, and we walk out going, huh, that wasn't really very interesting, just repeat, regurgitate this boring, pathetic, light addicted, every, these people are good and these people are bad story. That it's when the hero comes to understand oneness and his or her own wholeness that we walk out of that movie or that time of storytelling moved, potentially even transformed. So why all the fear? Why the fear-mongering? Because to get you to deny your truth and do what they, they being those who hold the power, want, uh, that's why all the fear. It really is that simple. It is not some great deep truth in the darkness. It's that people who have power want to keep it and those who have it can continue to take yours if you let them and you will let them if you deny your truth and stay separate from the darkness. It's really that simple. Empowered people are not easy to manipulate. Suffering people are. So this fear is and has been cultivated very skillfully by kings and queens, by religions, by governments, and now by certain aspects of psychology and much of advertising. Psychology oversimplifies the shadow and in this way does not support us in its transformation when it does this. Now, I did not say psychology doesn't support us. When it oversimplifies, it continues to propagate the greater belief of the lie of separation. And it says things like this. This is a quote from a psychological website I will not name on the internet. That is a substantial popular um, website. The shadow is an archetype that consists of sex and life instincts. The shadow is composed of repressed ideas, weaknesses, desires, instincts, and shortcomings. This archetype is often described as the darker side of the psyche, repressing wildness, chaos, and the unknown. Notice our three new allies, right? Okay, people sometimes deny this element of their own psyche and instead project it onto others. Now that is true. Psychology projects its own failure as a healing path onto the shadow in this way. This is another quote from another website. The shadow wants to be heard, simply that. There's a gross oversimplification. But if it isn't, it turns nasty, right? As if the shadow is just some spoiled child who wants to be heard. If something is in the shadow, it already hasn't been heard. It hasn't been seen. It hasn't been acknowledged. So this is what I mean by gross oversimplification, which may actually be covering complete misunderstanding of what the shadow energy really is, how energy gets there, and more importantly, how we get it back out again. So this quote continues to say it becomes a veritable demon, son or uh, witch or son of a bitch demanding its pound of flesh in very painful real time, not the dream time. 
Uh, and because it doesn't conform to the logic of the psychological process, psychology blames the shadow for our suffering. The shadow is both the awful things that needs redemption and the suffering redeemer who can provide it. Uh, anyway, the main reason shadow work is hard, scary, or takes a long time is precisely because the shadow is being treated psychologically as an impulsive, wounded, sad, or isolated part, or worse, just a petulant child, the sufferer, the demon. All of this drama. It's like no wonder people are afraid to do shadow work. For goodness sake, I would be too if I didn't have spirit help, if I didn't have a practice of energy awareness. What these two things give me is this. The shadow isn't oneself. It isn't a shadow self. It isn't the shadow. It's a closet that you put many aspects of yourself into. It's a Fibber McGee closet. You throw all these parts of yourself into that you learn to be afraid of and that you don't want people to see. And you slam the door and you post a keep out sign on it and you try to pretend that it's not there. The shadow is a realm that we can enter through journeying with shamanic guidance. We can only do this, however, once we have learned to follow the crazy logic of that realm with a true crazy logic guide. Um, So with that guide, we can discover our shadow selves as they are, not as we believe them to be. At its best, psychology says, beneath the social mask we wear every day, we have a hidden shadow side, an impulsive, wounded, sad, or isolated part that we generally try to ignore. The shadow can be a source of emotional richness and vitality, and acknowledging it can be a pathway to healing and an authentic life. We meet our shadow side, accept it for what it is, and we learn to use its powerful energies in productive ways. It sounds pretty good, and that's pretty much the thing, but how? How do we do that? Shadow work is approached, and it would work if we were able to accept the shadow for what it is. But that's the point, isn't it? If we accepted it for what it is, it wouldn't be in the shadow. So understand, the shadow realm is not a logical realm. Psychology is logical. To embrace the shadow as an ally, we must be willing to forego logic and surrender to crazy logic. So in the cycle, every logic teacher like the healer to learn the logic of healing has a crazy logic teacher which carries the crazy logic of healing and this for me is the greatest gift the cycle offers us at this time this time of writing the new story is it gives us aspect to develop a relationship with the crazy logic teachers so we can spend years trying to impose logic on shadow work and maybe eventually we'll sort something out Or we can surrender now to our spirit help and allow that help to guide us along the paths of crazy logic that allow us to locate, to reconnect with, and recover parts of our lost self in the shadow. And then we must transform those selves, not through acceptance, because they are not in their true form. We must transform them by first accepting who they are just as a given. But then we transform them through love and through shamanic healing because shamanic healing can follow the crazy logic necessary in real time to restore the shadow selves to their true forms. And then we accept them and draw them into um, 
acknowledge their powers. One of the problems that I see with people who do this purely psychologically is there's no transformation. They just sort of grudgingly accept the shadow self as they found it and try to have a relationship with it to be able to access the power that it carries. And what's missing there is the understanding that everything in the shadow began as part of you, thus it was an ally. And so everything found in the shadow needs to not only be brought out and just accepted for who it is, but the energy needs to be transformed. It needs to be given the path back to who it truly is. And that's the energy that we accept and integrate. And when we have done that, by definition, we have access to the gifts that it carries. And so we have to be able to follow that crazy logic. And only then can we learn the true power of these shadow selves when they're in their true form. And then we just release the rest of the energy. And there is always something to let go of with shadow work. There is always something that must be transformed. And then there is something to integrate or actually, more factually, reintegrate because every energy in the shadow began as part of ourself. So shadow work is deep yin work. It is our own yin resources that we must restore if we are to participate in changing the story of the people. So very much of our energy, our depleted yin lake, dearly needs um, what is bound in the shadow selves and trapped in the shadow closet. In other words, big resource trapped in a form we believe in needs to be released and reintegrated so that energy can flow into our own yin lake. The journey into the shadow is the journey again and again into our own darkness and vulnerability. And it is the willingness to intentionally greet the shadow in your own life and make the selves you find there your allies. That is the qualitative change required. The journey must be taken and the allies cultivated if we are to write a new story. It is the only way that we will restore the yin energies required to bring the medicine to the bitter, lost, lonely old man of the story that we have been living. Dealing directly with your emotional life makes your yin energies trustworthy in the world. That restores your yin lake and allows you to bring that energy out as the medicine to your own excess yang. Dealing directly with your shadow makes you trustworthy to yourself. It restores your yin energy and allows you to bring that medicine to your excess yang. And have you, as you cultivate the yin through the work with the shadow and making the ally the darkness, you restore the very resources necessary, not only to be the medicine in your own life, but, be, but to be the medicine for the story so that we are all able to participate together to reshape the story of the people for the new world. So I had a meditation for you, but we've run out of time. And so I still challenge you each to understand the relationship between restoring the yin energies making darkness an ally 
and that the path to do either restore your yin lake or make darkness an ally is to come to understand truly how to work shamanically to restore your shadow selves to the allies and the energies of power they were always meant to be. So I want to thank you all for joining me this week. I give thanks to the earth below, the sky above, the ancestors who have gathered around us, and the heart that unites us all. Have an excellent week, everyone.